Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Well, I just can't that picture in Stephen Gerrard walking out of the Etihad, you know, wearing that Liverpool jersey underneath the suit, a bit like Superman Clark Kent. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. And this is where it all starts. Good morning to you. OTB AM, Friday morning. Adrian here, Owen there, and Colm there. Morning, lads. How are you, Adrian? How are you, lads? How's it going? Very well. Yeah, Jesus, that was a bit How of are you slow coming? out of the blocks. I can, I'll go first. I'm I was waiting for Owen because... having a drink. No. sat there for like 10 minutes just fluting about doing nothing. No, I was actually waiting for Owen to go first this week because wow. last week you gave me the floor. I was just being generous to Owen because no one, no one ever asks Owen how he is. Everyone just presumes Owen's always great, always on form, always ready to go. And we never really right. ask you how you are. They would be right, wouldn't they? Yeah, I'm You're never right. not on form. You're right. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Um, there's so much going on. There's so much to get through. Uh, there's lots of stuff that, like, uh, any of it, we kind of lead to the show stuff this morning, but um, we do need to lead off with events uh, in Istanbul. And a lot of the photographs, uh, the newspapers have sort of picked up on this in various ways, and I don't really want to sort of... I know that people are kind of a little bit annoyed about the fact that it wasn't on the TV, and that's probably right, but I think sometimes we're, we're guilty of having those conversations at the expense of actually talking about the stuff itself. So we'll do that in a second, and we are hoping hoping at some point, possibly this morning, and then possibly a bit later on, uh, that we might actually have one of the boxers um, on the line. So as soon as they're ready, we'll be ready for them. And uh, we'll see what happens on that front. Some of the papers have really missed the boat, uh, having said all that, about not talking about the media. Uh, the Sun being one of them, it's not on the front page, and it's sort of tucked away there a little bit on the top page of that. And then just the other extreme of it is uh, the Irish Independent. Fair play to you this morning uh, on the front page, if I can get that in shot there. Uh, brilliant scenes from the ring yesterday, and it was quite the achievement from uh, Team Ireland at the World Championships. It was uh, three gold medals that we'd ever won um, at this level prior to that in the shape of Kelly Harrington and uh, Katie Taylor on the women's side and Michael Connell then on the men's side and Amy Broadhurst and Lisa O'Rourke congratulations to both of you this morning incredible achievements really uh, as I said only three others before them and loads of firsts as well first time to win two goals at one championships first time that the boxes went into the ring for finals after each other uh, only the fourth and fifth, fifth ever and also the comprehensiveness of the wins um both fighters, it should be acknowledged as well, brought through by Bernard Dunn uh, in advance of the Olympic um, training camp last year. And uh, uh, up to this level, at least, Amy Broder has been on the scene for quite some time. And um, yeah, Lisa, much less so, but just incredible stuff. Brilliant scenes, lovely photographs, a real feel-good boxing story, which, like, Irish boxing has never been on such a pedestal. No, like I know, I, uh, Gavin Casey was on the show last night and he had in this piece as well that uh, they'll take home 86,000 euro in prize money and then on top of that obviously you have the, the base level of Sport Ireland funding which is guaranteed now because they've medals at a major championships, 40,000 euro in funding. Those sorts of things are significant and they're significant on a number of fronts. They're significant obviously for their day-to-day life and also for keeping them in the system and uh, the, the lights of professional boxing which have been uh, so brilliantly illuminated over the last little while might become a little less attractive and there might be more opportunities for Ireland to win uh, medals over the course of the next few Olympic Games uh, as a result of that success yesterday as well. Obviously there are the question around who goes to Paris, what weight divisions people will be fighting at is actually a really complicated question and we're unsure what uh, knock-on impact this will have in Paris. So this is about yesterday and what yesterday represents and the fact that they've gone from three to five in the space of, what was it, half an hour of action yesterday? An hour of action yesterday. Uh, It it, it goes down as as one of the the, the greatest... 45 minutes or whatever it was in in the history of Irish boxing. So, And it's just an absolutely phenomenal... um, 
week actually and when he kind of chart back through some of the the career paths of these fighters I'd completely forgotten about the the, the robbery of in in New Delhi a few years ago of Amy Broadhurst and the, the judging decision to award when her fighter her opponent hit the deck to award that as a slip and even the, the local Indian media giving out about it at the time that was like a, a real setback in, in the career and like I mean O'Rourke has kind of been a bolt from the blue certainly from my perspective I'm sure boxing writers have been well aware of, of what she was going to going to do coming well, into this championship She's so young she's only just turned 20 as well mm. so she could be around for a while and brought her story is so interesting in the Kelly Harrington uh, um, the competitiveness obviously between the two of them and she's had to step up a little bit and wait to try and make this happen for her so um, like unlikely when you're behind a boxer that quality that you're going to get those opportunities so um, no, amazing stuff and uh, as I said we will hope at some point today if Colm gets the finger out and puts a bit of pressure on that we'll get um, the two fighters on a little bit later on I can't promise on. anything but I'll try to try it's like it is um, it's amazing just uh, like when you kind of like look through these these stories, kind of the importance of of Katie Taylor in, in all of this, and mm. like a, without trying to hark back to a different fighter, when these two fighters are the ones in the spotlight, just, just interesting to see that like Broadhurst was was in the Connecticut camp with Taylor before the Amanda Serrano fight, mm. because obviously um, Taylor's camp would have wanted a southpaw fighter to come in and actually fight Taylor beforehand, and uh, and that's why Broadhurst was brought in, like to get that experience, and of course, obviously after twenty twelve. There is this very visible role model, this this icon for these boxers as well that exists, and um, they've actually learned from within and learned from the system that has that has produced so much success over the last little while. So, yes, there is uh, a lot of issues with Irish boxing, but I think yesterday is a is a day that probably illuminates some of the things that have been done very very right. Yeah, they're totally badly served by the yeah. administrative level, obviously, and as you say, like such a shadow cast over the future of the sport at all in this country. If it's going to be um, absent from the Olympics, it'll be it will, they'll struggle to keep it uh, keep it afloat. So we'll see how that pans out over the next while. Uh, if you have any words of congratulations, comments, anything like that about uh, our two brilliant world champions, do lash them into us and we'll bring them to our audience. One of the first comments we've had in this morning, um, Mark Hogan, Han Offaly is a good way to get the... Mark's uh, there every day saying that. Day. Oh, is he? Get yeah, he's a regular. Started. Good man, and, Mark. Um, Gav Sale says, uh, happy to see the crappy quiz is back this week. So it is. I need to look forward to on that front later on. Uh, myself versus Tommy versus Arthur. Arthur. And can I just say, an exciting new round awaits. Oh, Jesus. How Nothing many about that. weeks uh, can we have an I thought you were excited week? about this. We Sorry. discussed how excited Nothing you were going to be that. about this. Yeah, I'm very excited. Absolute shambles. But it is all up for grabs, I think it's fair enough to say, without casting too much uh, you know, aspersions on the two lads. I think, you know, I nearly feel confident about it. Um, big scenes in the football last night, including Everton uh, securing their position in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, I was watching Aston Villa Burnley, as I'm sure probably a lot of yeah. lots of other people were as well Same. last night. Oh, nice. um, frustratingly, uh, yeah. not realising actually that the game was on Premier Sports. But uh, there we go. Um, and uh, also, by the way, I didn't really bother because I saw they were 2 0 down and I thought, well, sure, that's that. It's all gone to the final day and they could well be screwed the way things are going. But they've obviously turned it around. And like Lampard, really, I feel that he never sort of gets the credit he deserves in the sense that, like, you know, when they're going badly. Well, Lampard has put them in this position. It's not really, you know, it's up to him to get them out of it. And then when they're when they're going well, like last night, you know, there's a lot of credit um, for the players. I just felt that, like, credit where it's due. I do think, obviously, uh, like even looking at the scenes last night, that I think there's a fairly full overall needed in that club. Like, I'm assuming that that's 
in in the uh, in the uh, back of people back of fans' minds last night when they're on the pitch celebrating that thing that like it's a big relief moment. Mm. But actually, the reality is there's so much work needed to be done there. Well, someone was saying there this morning. I think it was myself and Owen chatting that it's the the worst Everton squad that you can remember. Like I, I think like it is a talented squad. Like if you're having the likes of Danny Van de Beek, Dali Ali, and Alan on the bench mm. in a do or die match, you know you're doing something right on paper in terms of the players you're recruiting. But it's just the inability for Everton to find any cohesion at all this season. And I agree with you, Adrian, that. I think with Frank Lampard, and I think we're guilty of it too. Is there a bit of joy in seeing him suffer a bit? I don't know if that's the kind of feeling towards Lampard. And I, I, I mean, like WhatsApp groups last night, people were absolutely delighted at half time that Everton were 2 0 down. There and is. the same WhatsApp yeah, group an hour later was like expletive ridden uh, sentiment towards Crystal Palace's inability to see the match out. I mean, it's the first time Everton have ever come from 2 0 down at half time to win a Premier League match. And so, so Lampard does deserve credit because when he came in, they were at an extremely low ebb and he himself has had very low moments like the 3-2 defeat away to Burnley at Turf Moor uh, back in the start of April. And I remember we were talking about the following day and we thought, well, that's it for mm. Everton. They're, they're going to go down. But he's, he's rallied the troops. He, they beat Manchester United. They beat Chelsea. They won away to Leicester. Like, he's had good results with they, them. They should have gotten something after the Manchester City game. The, the exactly, shot, the, 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 penalty. the penalty that never happened, yeah. Uh, like, and that was in the, the early Lampard throws. And it does feel like during the Lampard era as if they've had more of a chance in some of those bigger games against the bigger opposition rather than a game like last night. Now, I know they did go on to actually win last night and it was such a vital three points. But I'd love to know like where does this season rank for Everton fans? It'll certainly go down as one of the most memorable. And like that's what football is all about, mm. like about creating those sorts of memories. Like if yeah. they're a team for me that are mid-table to seventh all the time. I know that's not a fact. 2003, 2004, they came close to getting relegated as well. But you do have to go back that far to find a similar level of threat for them, uh, like parachuting out of the league. So for fans of a certain age, this will probably be one of the greatest moments as an Everton yeah, fan. Yeah. I know they got to a cup final in 09 as well, but other than that, really there hasn't been anything to, to shout about. And that's been positive because they've managed to stay away from relegation trouble. But with all the negativity this season, they've allowed themselves to put themselves into uh, a, a great escape position. And that's just an amazing feeling as a fan. It's like finishing fourth. It's like for Tottenham fans, they probably feel like they'll have a better season now than Chelsea fans will have had, even though Chelsea finished yeah. above them. It's like the sense of achievement of actually getting over the line and stumbling over the line. That's a pretty good feeling. Do you know, I can't help but feel... I agree with all of that. And I can't help but feel when I saw the pitch invasion last night after the match, I was just thinking, Roy Keane won't like this. Like, it's like, what, what, are, you, what, are, you cele- what are you celebrating about? Let's like, not, look at this. Look at, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Look at the squad you have and look how you've done this season. Let's that's not a remarkable underachievement. Roy, there, there's, saying, a, there's a joylessness to that nonsense, honestly. Yeah, there, there was is. a time where, where I would have understood what you're talking about. Look we at could this. see some of the scenes last night. I guarantee you, right, no that's matter what happens at the weekend, there will be no set of fans that will be as happy yeah. and celebrate as much as those fans last night. So let's not look at everything through the prism of you have to win. Like, that's bullshit. It isn't though, right? It's no, it isn't though. Come, it isn't. come on. No, 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 no. It, it, it harks back to a conversation that the lads were having in the studio during the week. You can't say that, you know, success is just for one team at the end of the season to win the league and that's it. Mm. That's, there's a joylessness to that, I, that you struggle to get out of bed for, in the morning. That's, I agree. I didn't realise uh, this would get you going so much. This is interesting because uh, I was just thinking of the point of view that 
Everton really have nothing to celebrate other than the fact that they have it's massive relief. Other than and everything. you look at the celebrations last night, and out of context, you think, geez, if Everton won the league, have they won their first trophy since 1995? You know, it's you, you know, many people they, would say they could, they could sprint down to they the dressing room and be like, geez, we got, they we got rid of that. They have more reason to celebrate. But celebrate suggests a massive success. Right? That's, that is a, it's that's an incredible success. It's relief. You see, that's, you're, you're using that word to suggest you have to win a medal at the end of it. And I, for no, me... Not necessarily. Pre- if they, if they qualified for the Champions League this season or even the Europa League, even the Conference League the second last day of the season, the that's League, celebration. They ain't rushing that's the celebration. Pitch. They're not rushing the pitch like that if they qualify for the Champions League, let's face it. Why? You, have you ever seen a team, have you ever seen a set of fans rush the pitch because their team qualified for the Champions League. It just doesn't happen. I understand the fans rushing the pitch because of the relief and joy that they're still in the Premier League and everything. Like They're one of seven, seven sides never to be relegated from the Premier League, I think. Um, and haven't been relegated in decades. Long, long time. So I understand the fans' uh, joy. But, you know, if you're the players and you're Frank Lampard, I saw him going up to the stands afterwards and, yeah. and hugging the good and the great of Everton past. And I'm thinking, OK, this is great. And he has done a really good job. But at the same time, lads, like the squad that you have... And where you finish but, in the league, this the, is a but massive the, the rushing, rushing of the pitch has nothing to do with any of those factors. The rushing of the pitch is an absolute joy. outpour of celebration and success. Relief. Objective being, of course, but objective being surviving the Premier League for the season, objective achieved. That's success. There's no... But that's not their remit. That was not their remit when Rafa Benitez took your, over. To I know, but your remit, your remit, uh, your remit. What's the phrase about getting punched in the face? Your remit is grand yeah, until you get punched until, in the face. Yeah, I, Mike I Tyson's think, line. I think there would have been a pitch invasion had Everton qualified for a Champions yeah, League because I, it's well, Everton. I agree. And also it's Goodison Park, which is conducive to a pitch invasion. Mm. The reason why we don't see pitch invasions for Champions League qualification is because those stadiums that host Champions League teams aren't. You're not able to get onto the pitch. Like you can't get onto the pitch at Anfield. But there's also a sentiment like. Honestly, if depending on the circumstances, I give that caveat for sure, right? Because um, Liverpool maybe get ahead at some point and City are drawing and it looks like suddenly Liverpool are going to go in and the, the balance may go that way. But if everything goes as expected at the weekend, there won't be any pitch invasion about winning the Premier League. And regardless of... And look, I take it's your not point... not because you literally can't. It's not because like Goodison Park is actually... I, I, but I, I, is there anybody out there who can illuminate... No, but I mean, you, I, I, look, I do take your point. It's obviously a dinosaur of a stadium and it's easy to, to get on, Great on stadium the pitch. by all accounts. But what I'm saying is, are we Trying afraid of libeling? Are we <laughs> libeling the stadium? Well, that, all I've heard uh, is good things about the place. To be honest, no, no, that doesn't mean the dinosaurs were great. Um, what I'm saying is, like, it was the sentiment at that moment that those players rushed on the pitch. Now there was some stuff that went on at that game, obviously in relation to Patrick Vieira afterwards. That was that was awful, and there was stuff that went on with the Nottingham Forest game the other day with uh, Billy Sharp. That was awful, and it's not to condone, condone any of that stuff. But the sentiment, I I believe that the sentiment that carried those like tens of thousands that we saw on the pitch onto the pitch last night would have been there no matter if they were at like somewhere soulless like the Emirates or you know some other high profile stadium. But, uh, like what what would your view of the the major sentiment and emotion of those fans being from the outside did you assume that they're just absolutely thrilled with the job that Frank Lampard has done in the latter few weeks of the season or would you like hypothesize that well it's just massive relief and outpouring of joy That's all and, it is. 
Yeah, that's I, not, I, that's I, not I a don't celebration. think. I don't think anybody's like. It's, it's not a celebration. I don't think it's a celebration. Oh, will you stop? Jesus, do you? How, what, I'm not. Hold on. I know you, what you're going to say. Oh, if this you're is pure first, Roy Keane. I come not, from Cork, and no, I have no, to look no. at everything through the yeah, eyes of Roy Keane. It's a celebration, Colin. Like, I mean, it's nonsense. Of course, it's a celebration. Like, it can be a celebration based in relief. Like, like if you want to get it, if you want to dig down into. Well, why, that's what I mean. You know, no, nobody's sitting there being like, "Ooh, Frank Lampard is he better manager than Rafa?" Do you think there's only one successful team in the Premier League every season? Never said that. But I'm asking you the question. Obviously not. There's success in w- loads of different ways. Like, for instance, uh, Brighton, I think, have had a very successful second half of the season when they struggled to score at home. And like, they've only won one home game in the second half of the season. And that's poor. But remember, Graham Potter was shaking his head at the fans at around wintertime about their booing of uh, a, a nil-all draw, I think, at home. And they turned around to have a really good season. I know their home form didn't end up being great. But anyway, I would say that's a successful season for Brighton. He has been playing great football. They comfortably avoided... Uh, relegation and they have a good away record loads of positives of course that's a celebration that's success nowhere near getting your European football titles domestic cups that's success are you did you just just make the point there that Brighton have had a more successful season than Everton because that is obvious nobody nobody needs to hear that like I mean that's uh, like absolutely obvious are 15 more teams have a successful season than Everton exactly trying to argue that Everton haven't had a very successful season isn't an argument of course they haven't they almost got relegated yeah, it's like I mean that's that, it's not even a debate why are we, yeah. what are we arguing about no, but we, no what we're arguing for is that we're arguing about the fact that Adrian <laughs> said right it is brand now he's sorry. like what would Roy no, say we're, we're, we're arguing about the fact that Adrian is like uh, promoting this massive celebration of goodness and I'm saying well it's a bit unfair on teams above Everton who ah, have had a better than average season because and they, they have haven't no been pitch, able to celebrate they have no pitch because they haven't right? been able to celebrate they have celebrate. no pitch nah. so, do you know, what are they going to do celebrating like, their own finish failure mid-table, basically finish mid-table and rush the pitch on the final day come on <laughs> I, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, I'm nearly disappointed in you, Colm, I have to say. No, no, no. Um, no, no. Uh, Fergus Keogh says, Everton pitch invasion for avoiding relegation. Liverpool a bit disappointed at finishing a point behind City. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't know. Uh, no, Nigel Gallagher. all relative. And Nigel like- Gallagher saying here, I think the media in the UK give Lampard a lot of unwanted praise, which I find hard to take. Uh, plus unwanted or undeserved? Un- uh, Unwarranted. I should. I actually. The point to be fair is probably more in relation to the Irish media. Yeah, exactly. You know, sorry. Yeah, like, sorry. Uh, I should have said that. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, or regarding, says a, Yeah, I should have said that. Regarding Nigel's point, that is very true. He he gets a, a nice gig from like the likes of BT Sport, where he's a former pundit. They'd be very pro Lampard, and I I do think we often go the opposite way. I take joy in the fact that he's an underperformer as a manager. I was going to ask both of you if you were pitch invaders, but like this lad is like sitting there ticking the box to go. Hmm, should I should I celebrate this? Is this is this the point at which I mean no. I know everybody else around me is rushing. I pitch, told you already that I totally understand every single one of those fans running onto the pitch. That's their club. You're just questioning them. Did you I'm uh, questioning the the Lampard and the players' uh, sense of achievement this season when really it's a massive underperformance um, for Everton as a football club? Having said all that, yeah. you have rushed the pitch at a certain point. Uh, I have Tom and Park. Uh, a monster victory in uh, 2002 in Europe, maybe quarter final. Right. And it was uh, yeah, I had a good, I had a good time post match. As I said to you earlier in the kitchen. What happened? Come on, tell them. No, I was just uh, I was embracing my fellow fans running around the pitch, and then uh, this and young you hoodlum <laughs> was uh, was what was what really running against me opposite direction like I'm looking at the camera here so this, I'm seeing him here he's like five yards away and this guy's coming over and he's like oh I'm going to embrace with this stranger about a great monster victory whips the hat off me runs away 
never saw that beanie again. <laughs> and I love that beanie. And I could imagine Colm like skulking back into the stands going, well, that has ruined, ruined my day. So if anyone's in a, moot now for the day. Like. Anyone tuning in from Limerick this morning, circuit 2002, <laughs> Navy beanie. A monster, a monster Comment one. Comment here, please. Monster one. No, it was uh, an unbranded <laughs> Navy uh, beanie. It's definitely going to be found. I wonder where it is now. Yeah, Pitch invasions happen all the time, though. Like, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we, we just see it in, in football across the water. We're like, wow. Because like, it's so sanitized, you don't normally see it. Is that yeah, the, like, I mean, there's yeah. pitch invasions on GA pitches yeah. uh, every single week. Uh, obviously, we don't see it in Crow Park anymore, but, like, isn't. Uh, the halftime kids on the pitch? No, I mean, at full time, like, players are mobbed by kids looking for autographs yeah. and people just. I don't know if that's a pitch invasion Go so on. much as no no look at I, I I don't want to sort of get out that same road as your man here but I like there's an excitement for the kids to get on the pitch as opposed to oh my team's just won better get out there like there's nearly a bit of there's a bit of the madness about them it's not like a load of adults sort of running the pitches it's sort of a slightly different vibe to it yeah but I uh, I take your point it's not um yeah, I do. Like, I mean, I do miss the pitch invasion in Croke Park, but then you do see things like the Billy Sharp situation and yeah. that absolute idiot going up to Patrick Vieira last night as well. And think to yourself, well, this this is going to ruin everybody's fun. And uh, I, like, I presume that was the reason why there is no pitch invasions in Croke Park is just for for the potential. I think for it's an like insurance thing. There was there was yeah. a whole lot of insurance claims at some point or another. I rushed it in two thousand and four. Oh yeah, after the moment. infamous after ourselves and Kerry combined to take over the world. Yeah. Um, and there was nobody like we were. It was Plan B mode at that point. Plan B, you remember the what game the, was Plan B again? Because I was on the pitch for O nine after Kerry won the other. It was a, it was a, it was a policy at that time that once Plan A went to shit, it yeah, was like right, we can't hold them. There was one very famous moment though where Plan B was like the the first one. I I, I think I can't remember if I was in the stadium or watching it at home, but there there was one where that, that there was definitely the beginning of Plan B, and then they just managed to get a grip on it. They obviously put up better security on all the stands to have the netting yeah. on the front few rows and all that better quality of steward is what you're saying it's like well, <laughs> oh, back 80,000 people nah, like it, that, that was like that was an unforgiving job wasn't it without oh. the, the barriers to actually try and uh, hold off uh, thousands of Tyrone fans or Armagh fans and uh, try and keep them at bay that obviously the Kerry fans would be very polite yeah, and all you're yeah. telling us to st- stay in the stand no problem <laughs> yeah, we will right, sit down here right. uh, that moment of like mad joyous chaos when you're on the pitch you've lost the people you've come with but you're hugging strangers and you're like looking for players and it's like it's just it was it, that that for me was probably the the highlight of anything I've ever been at and like there was just no sense that anybody was going to there was people you were creeping down the stairs as the we were approaching sort of full time you're creeping down the stairs to get your your, your position um, you told a story before as well about was it Crow Park? Yeah well like Crow Park 2009 the last time I remember uh, invading a pitch and like when you talk about like the technical phrase of your pitch invasion after Kerry had uh, beaten Cork handily again in an, in an All Ireland football final, I think I had contracted swine flu uh, that morning, so I was kind of like running onto the pitch in like a haze, dizzy, and I, I don't think I even stayed for the trophy presentation. <laughs> I was like, I just gotta get out of here. I feel like I'm gonna die. And I, I missed I, I miss I all must the celebrations get on the pitch. Yeah, I missed I all the celebrations that week as well because I was bed bound for a week. Wow, terrible. A uh, few comments coming in. Uh, well said, Colm says. Uh, Colm's mother. Yeah, well said. Says Colm. Colm's mother here. Uh, says Alan. Um, Alan, my mother. Uh, Jesus, Colm. Uh, whatever. Uh, Edward, Colm has some killjoy. Why is someone with no idea about? <laughs> why, why, why do we don't? Hold on a minute. Let me read out the comments. Let me read out the yeah, comments. Uh, yeah. Flying hellfish. Jesus, Colm, outwitted by the man who voted to have the monorail in that loan. <laughs> Did it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Here, come on, look at your running order there. Come on. Are you, are you, are you, come are you on. dipping, dipping it? Come on. Column is some killjoy. Why someone with no idea about sport on a sports show? Everton fans were 100% right to celebrate last night. The club have an entire off-season to review the season. Nice one for including this, says Colm. Uh, uh, Robert says, no Gilroy, dot, dot, dot. We all know how that concludes. And Demo says, Everton achieved zero of their objectives for the season. That's definition of unsuccessful. Doesn't mean they can't celebrate avoiding disaster. And I think that is nailing the head stuff. Um, what are you pointing at me to do? To come Read the running order, please. Talk to you about tennis. Yeah. Well, we need to go. We have Kathleen McNamee waiting. Right. Well, do, will we wait for the tennis for later on then? Or do you want to no, we'll do it now quickly. Go on. <laughs> the producer has vetoed everything else. Go on. Watch uh, French Open draw. The French Open draw happened yesterday. Starts tournament starts on Sunday. Uh, it's very briefly on the men's side. Very interesting. Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Carlos Alcaraz have all been drawn on the same side of the draw, which means that we could get a Nadal versus Djokovic quarter final quite early and uh, Alcaraz if he beats Alexander Zverev in the quarterfinal would meet either Nadal or Djokovic in the semi-final it means that Stefanos Tsitsipas the Greek who reached the final last year who actually won the first two sets against Djokovic in that final he uh, should get to a second consecutive final because he's on the other side of the draw which is very winnable for him his biggest threat there would be Daniel Medvedev who's the world number two uh, but is not a great clay court player. So Tsitsipas should get to the final and then it's one of three between Nadal, Djokovic and Alcaraz on the other side of the draw. So we can get a blockbuster quarterfinal there, Nadal, Djokovic. The uh, only thing with Nadal is struggling badly with his ankle. Djokovic won the Italian Open last week. He would be my odds-on favourite to win this tournament. Carlos Alcaraz on current form is the best player in the world. He beat Nadal and Djokovic back-to-back a couple of weeks ago, but best of five sets is a different story altogether. Those are best of three set matches. So a lot to look forward to on the men's side. On the women's side, Iga Sviantek's world number one. She's won her last five tournaments in a row. She's also the 2020 French Open champion, where she beat Sofia Kennan in that showdown. Uh, it's the clear favourite here to win this whole tournament. The only way she won't is if she gets injured. And in terms of an interesting first round draw, you have Naomi Osaka, of course, the great Osaka, who's won four Grand Slams already, two Australian Opens, two US Opens. She's playing Amanda Anisimova. In the first round, those two met at the Australian Open earlier this year, where Osaka lost that match in a Titanic three-set battle. She lost in a third-set tie-break. Of course, the French Open last year is where Osaka pulled out after her first round victory citing her mental health exhaustion. Mm. So she's back now to play the French Open. She's never going to be on the third round, but that would be a great first round tie. Well, I, uh, for one, look forward to the tennis updates over the next, what, how many weeks? Two weeks, starting Sunday. Yeah, Really looking forward to that, Colm, as you know. I can, th- I can sense it in your voice. 